cool, cool. Like kind, that was that was okay. Uh, how you guys doing tonight? Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. Um, we'll try it one more time. I, I use this as an opportunity for all you guys to to get engaged. So you're welcome. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Cool. Uh, my name is Colin. I work for Saul Company. If you're new, uh, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, you guys are jumping into the middle of a series we're doing in the book of, uh, you're actually in the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. We're calling the series Victory. That's why the word victory is on the screen. Um, but if, if you're new or just jumping in, here's what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about the victory Jesus has by raising from the dead and the victory we get to share with him when we put our faith in him. So we're, we're going through this series in 1 Corinthians 15 called Victory. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn there. That's where we're going to be tonight. Um, and, and tonight, here's where we're going. We're, we're going to talk about the idea of transformation. The idea of transformation, being transformed from something lesser to something greater. And transformation is something that we all experience. So think back. Maybe you don't remember, but you can imagine to when you were four years old, okay? When, you, when you're four years old, you're maybe like sucking on your thumb, you're crying when you're hungry, and you like really can't do a whole lot of productive things. And I would hope for most of you, you've transformed out of that. Um, I'm not sold on all of you, uh, specifically the, the crying while you're hungry. Uh, but but here's, the, here's the idea. You transform over time into into something lesser to something greater, but you don't have to go back 15 years to experience transformation. We all remember middle school. Um, ouch. Aren't you glad you transformed out of your middle school self? Um, yeah, you, you guys can uh, say amen to that. Um, so I, I got to prove this because some of you are like, ah, middle school was the glory days. I maybe would have said that too. Um, so we can go ahead and throw the first slide up. Middle school. Middle school, guys. What, what, why am I smiling like that? Why is my hair like that? I don't know. Go ahead and go ahead. Next slide. Uh, that's Drake. Um, Drake. Drake was going to a middle school bonfire in a button down. So that was him in middle school. All right. Uh, next one. Abby, Abby, it's probably a good thing Mike is not here because, whew. I really, I really want to know what this is. Is it bring, cons like, construction, neon, and your favorite stuffed animal to middle school prom? I don't, I, I don't know. Okay, go ahead. Next one. Uh, that's your worship leader, Nate. Nate Cox right there. There's just not a whole lot to say with this one. Uh, but before, before we go to the next one, this is my personal favorite, Austin Miller. Everyone, can we get a drum roll for this one? It's my personal favorite. All right, you can go ahead and put it up.
Okay, okay. I've, I, Austin sent me that picture, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe yesterday, maybe earlier today, and I have looked at that picture maybe 10 times, and it gets me every time. It gets me every time. Okay, here's the point. You can take the picture down. That'll be a little bit distracting. Um, okay. Well done, Erica. Well done. Um, here's the point. Here's the point. Transformation needs to happen. Amen? Transformation needs to happen. We all have a phase in our life that we're glad we transformed out of. But, but tonight we're talking about a different kind of transformation, similar but different. A kind of transformation that, that happens when we transform from a lesser life to a greater life. The, the type of transformation that happens after death. So here's where we're going. I'm giving you an outline if you're a note taker. Um, this is where we're going. I apologize in advance for the alliteration. Uh, we are going problem. What's the problem we have with transformation? Pain. What's the pain that needs to occur in order for us to long for transformation and promise? What's the promises we see in scripture about transformation? Pain, or excuse me, problem, pain, promise. That's where we're going. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35. This is what it says. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. So here's what these verses are saying. Your life is like a seed that needs to be sown into the ground in order for something beautiful to be produced. And, and that sowing process that he's talking about is death. So if this is your first time at Soul Company, welcome. We're talking about death. Um, more, more than just death, but actually the transformation of the dead. We're, we're really talking about the transformation that can occur that is offered to us in Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 for those of us that have put our faith in him. The, the author is setting up this transformation, but if our first point is problem, what's the problem? Like, what's the problem with sowing a seed into the ground so that something beautiful is produced? Nothing. The problem occurs when you don't sow the seed. So here's my question for you. When, when do you think you're going to live the good life? When do you think you're going to live your best life? Or maybe... For some of you, a better question is, what will it take for you to get the good life? For you to get the best life? What's it going to take? Is it, is it going to take more money? Is it going to take better friends? Is it going to take more friends? A significant other? Your significant other becoming your spouse? Having kids? Like, what's it going to take for you guys to live the good life or maybe... You're coming into this place and you're like, oh, what in the world are you talking about? I'm a college student. This is the good life. Welcome. Like, hello, you're on the other side of it. I'm, we're in the good life. We're living the good life. It doesn't get any better than this. But this is where the problem lies. This is where the problem lies. Let me explain this. The problem is not when we look at our life and say, man, I want, I want something better. The problem 
is when we look at our lives and say, it doesn't get any better than this. This is it. This is the good life. Like some of you, I'm guessing, whether you acknowledge it or not, are actually believing that the life you're living right now is the good life. And, and I want to explain why there's maybe some flawed logic in your thinking. Because here's my question, is if you're coming in thinking this is the good life, my question for you is, you don't think it can get any better than this? Like, you don't think it can get any better than this. This is all you hoped it would be. Okay, even if you answer yes to that question, I have another question for you. Do you realize, if this is the good life, do you realize you are one phone call, one doctor's appointment, one time in your car away from everything being taken from you, from the good life ending? If this is the good life, you're a moment away from that being over. But I would guess most of you in this room aren't actually a part of that group. You actually want something more with your life. You want something better. You have bigger hopes for what your life could be. You want something more. So the the problem, again, is not saying, I want something better than the life I have right now. The problem is when we say, I think that good life, I think that better life is going to come in 10 years. I think it's going to come in 15 years. I think it's going to come in 30 years. I think it's going to come in retirement. I think it's going to come when I get that promotion. The problem is that our transformation, our longing for transformation, is too short-sighted. We look to this side of eternity saying, the good life's going to come. I just need to work a little harder. I just need a couple more things to fall the right way, and then the good life will come. But our transformation is our longing for transformation is too short-sighted. So if you aren't a Christian in this room, like if you're kind of fueling out what it means to follow Jesus, maybe your friend invited you to Soul Company, I want to say this to you. I want to say first, thanks for coming. Like genuinely, thank you for being here because coming into a setting like this can be really hard and frankly, we're kind of weird around here. Like people lift up their hands, we sing songs, and then you listen to a guy on a stage ask you really weird kind of hard questions, and you throw up pictures of people. Um, but thank you for being here. But I also want to say to you, what do you want from your life? Like, if you're not a believer in this room, what do you long for? What do you want your life to be? What, what do you think the good life is? Here's my fear, is that you are chasing something you will never be able to attain. You're chasing some idea Or maybe some person that you idolize saying, if I had that person's life, then I would be living the good life. That's the good life right there. But here's the problem with that. Is that we look at someone who's different than us and say, I want that life. But that person's different than us. And the second problem is that the person we're longing to be saying they have the good life probably isn't even content in the life that they have anyways. This is what it's like. I want to preface this story by saying one day, not right now, one day, Rachel and I would love to have kids. Not right now. Not any time in the next nine months. I knew that would get a couple people going. Uh, One day, Rachel and I would love to have kids by God's grace. And I can just imagine my kids coming up to me after their, like, middle school basketball days maybe. I love basketball. Rachel also likes basketball and is a much better athlete than me. 
Um, I'm willing to acknowledge that. I'm secure, guys. It's fine. Um, so I just imagine, my, let's say my son runs up to me and is like, hey, Dad, I cannot wait to play in the NBA someday. Here's the conversation I'm going to have with him. I'm going to say, buddy, I love you, and you are a good middle school basketball player, but brother, you have my genes. There is no way. There is no way. And let's just say, let's just say my son got way more of Rachel, my wife's genes. Like, I'm saying 100% of her genes, because she is quite the athlete. Um, here, here's what would be true, is even if my son makes it to the NBA, here's what's going to happen. One day he's going to retire from the NBA. And then who is he? If his whole life is basketball, if his whole life is being an NBA player, if he's reached the pinnacle of success and said, I've made it, this is the good life, what happens when one day it's taken from him? Or one day he decides to walk away. Guys, we're watching living proof of this in the greatest football player of all time, Tom Brady, retiring. No, seriously, he retires, and then two months later, what does he say? I'm coming back. Why? Why do you think he's coming back? Is it because he's in his athletic prime? No. <laughs> Side note. The most response I've ever gotten in a sermon is when I talk about Tom Brady and Michael Jordan. It, that gets you guys going. Anyway, here's my point. Here's my point. Is that, why is Tom Brady coming back? I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's because in two months, he's asked himself, who is Tom Brady without football? Even on the even on the other side of one of the greatest careers of all time, where he's reached the pinnacle of success, the greatest football player of all time is saying, who am I without football? What is the good life? So taking this seed analogy, here's what we do. We get this seed, which is our life, and we say, I want something great to happen with this. I want this to be the best it could possibly be. And so we take this seed and we put it in a box, like a clear box, and we put it on our shelf and we look at it and we say, yes. This is all that the seed was made for. Maybe it needs a different light. Maybe it needs to go on a different shelf with a different painted wall behind it. But just some minor changes, and this is all this seed was made for. But that seed will never grow. Like, that would be foolish to think, to put a seed in a box on a shelf and say, this is what this was made for. But that's what we do with our lives. So to everyone in the room, Christian or not, believer or not, here's what I have to say to you. You were made for a, a different, better life. You were made for a greater reality. But to attain it, to attain that greater reality, you have to take your life and bury it. And have faith that Jesus will give you a new and better life. You must die in order to truly live. That's what we're talking about tonight. That you must die in order to truly live. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. This is what it says. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So here is what the author is doing is he's going back to this seed illustration, this idea of sowing your life, of burying your life, and then it being transformed. But before we talk about the transformation, here's what I want to talk about. Is I want to address the place that we're transformed from. The place that we're transformed from, because that place is often a place of, of a lot of pain. Like Tom Brady, even if we have a seemingly successful life, we still experience pain. We still experience identity crisis. And what I want you guys to see tonight is maybe our pain is meant to point us to the transformation we actually long for. Maybe our pain is meant for us to say, man, I want something greater. It's got to get better than this. So here's how Paul describes the place that we're transformed from. He says, it's perishable. It's a place of dishonor. It's a place of weakness. It's a place that's natural. And he later describes it, the, the people that are in this place are people of dust. People of dust. And I think some of you relate to this list more than others. Some of you hear this list and you're like, man, I resonate with every single one of those things that you just listed. Some of you resonate with one or two, and maybe there are a few of you in this room that's like, man, I don't resonate with anything on that list, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm hoping over the next little bit to, to kind of unpack some of those words, words and maybe help you, uh, help those words resonate with you, but here's what I'm saying is regardless of how much or how little you relate to this, we, everyone in this room, we are all people that are or will one day be marked by pain. The thing that binds everyone in this room is pain. It's impossible to live a life without experiencing pain. And some of us have stories of really pronounced pain, really tangible pain. Stories that it's really easy to point back on moments of your life and say, man, that, that was painful. That was hard. Others of you, your pain is more underlying. It, it, it exists, but it's buried deep. It's deep in, in places of your heart where it's self-inflicted and, and you try to mask it and you don't really talk about it. But I think deep inside of you, there's a place of pain. I just want to say that if, if there are some of you that are really struggling, maybe you feel like you've experienced more pronounced pain than other people. Like, man, my story is so marked by pain. I want to say to you, we are here for you. Salt Company is here for you. We exist for you. Even if you don't understand just how deep your pain goes, we want to walk with you and be with you as you do that, as you process your pain. So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to walk through that list that I just went through, and I'm going to unpack each of those words, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to specific people in the room. And, man, here's what I want you all to hear. One, if, I'm, if I ever... If you ever find yourself where, like, I'm talking to you specifically, I want you to know, first, you are not alone. You are not the only person in this room that I'm talking to. Second, if I go through this list and you do not relate to, to the things that I say, here's what I want to say to you, is that if you are involved in Salt Company, like, if you would say, man, I, I like, have friends at Salt Company, this is a place I go consistently, I want to say to you, you're a part of the family, and there are people in this family that are experiencing those things, and so we as a family want to hear their stories and help them walk. Okay, so everything that
that I'm about to walk through applies to everyone in the room. Let's get started. One, we are all perishable. We're all perishable. We're all on a journey towards a failing body. And some of you are like, no, I am entering my athletic prime. I know there are some athletes in the room, and you can have science to prove it depending on the sport you play. Your athletic prime somewhere between 22 and 32. But here's what I want to say to you is even the idea of an athletic prime, even the idea of being in your prime or awaiting your prime actually helps prove the idea that you're perishable. Because at one point, you're going to reach your prime, you're going to reach the pinnacle of all your body can do, and then you will be on an irreversible decline towards a failing body. Even the idea of a prime proves that we all know our perishability. And so you may acknowledge your perishability, you may not, but I'm guessing there are just a handful of you. Maybe, maybe more than that, maybe there are a, a few of you that not only know you're perishable, but feel that you're perishable. Like, there are some people in this room that not only know their bodies are failing, but daily feel their bodies failing. Like, some of you experience chronic pain. Every day is a, is a grind. Daily activities are significantly harder for you, it feels like climbing a mountain or running a marathon. Things that are so easy for other people feel so hard for you. And guys, this one, this one like hits home for me because uh, Rachel, my wife, um, she deals with chronic pain. Like there are days where she gets home from work, we eat dinner together, and it's like, hey, Colin, I got I got to go lay down. Like, I can't stand up. I can't even sit up because I'm in so much pain right now because I hurt so badly. And there are a few things in life harder than watching someone you love deal with pain. Watching someone you love be so sad that things that should be easy are really difficult. And so to people with pain, First, you guys are incredibly strong, and I know that because if any of you have ever met Rachel, my wife, you would never guess she deals with chronic pain. She is, one of, she is the strongest person that I know. She's amazing. And so if you are dealing with chronic pain, one, you guys are so tough and so strong, and I want to acknowledge that, and I also want to say we're here for you, and we want to walk with you in your weakness. We want to walk with you in your pain. And so on, on behalf of those with chronic pain, here's what we say. Here's what we cry out together. We say, Lord Jesus, we need the transformation of our perishable bodies. We need something better. Next one on the list. We live lives of dishonor. We fall short of expectations and we let people down. We live in a day filled with expectations. Expectations from our parents, from our community, from our friends that are close to us, from our friends that we met virtually, from our teachers, from our coaches, from our mentors, we live in a world that's built on expect, expectations for us. And it seems to me like it's impossible to meet everyone's expectations. Maybe that's just me, but it feels like, man, even if I exceed my coach's expectations, I fail my teacher's expectations. Even if I exceed my friend's expectations for me, I end up failing my parents' expectations for me. But I think more than any of that, 
We live in a world that tells you, you have to be someone, and you have to do something, and you need to have a huge resume that proves that, like, you are good enough. And you know what we do? We believe the world. I believe the world. Guys, I believe the world that my identity is wrapped up in all the things I can do and all the things I can produce. And what inevitably happens is I can't do and be all that the world wants me to be, all that I want me to be. And so what do I do? I let myself down. I let myself down. I fall short of my own expectations for myself. And so I'm only going to do this with this one specifically. So no fear for future. Here's what I want to ask. Be bold, be courageous. It shouldn't take that much courage. But raise your hand if you've ever let yourself down. Okay, just hold them up for a second. Hold them up for a second. Look around. I don't have perfect eyes. Every, almost every hand in the room is up. Okay, you guys can go ahead and put your hands down. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. Letting yourself down is painful. Letting yourself down hurts. And every single hand in this room was raised. So it, that means this room is a room that's marked by pain. By people that have walked through something that hurts. So as a whole room, we cry like, Lord Jesus, transform our dishonorable lives. Next one. We live in a state of weakness. And some of you uh, spend a lot of time in the gym. And you're like... Some people struggle with weakness. I definitely don't. And some of you are incredibly strong. I believe it. Um, okay, but, but here's, here's what's true. Here's what's true about people that lift. Here's what's true about people that lift. Is they are able and willing to tell you how much they can lift. Right? Yeah. You wouldn't believe I maxed out my bench the other day, right? Okay, what does that also mean? It means they can also tell you just as easily how much they can't lift. Raise it five pounds. Can you lift that? Right? People that lift, people that lift know how much they can lift, but inevitably they also know how much they can't lift. And some of you need to hear that you can't carry the weight of everything that you're trying to carry. Like, you aren't superhuman. You don't have super strength. It's okay to need help, and it's okay to be weak. It's okay to be that person here. But as we go on with this one, I want to talk to a, a few specific people in the room. First one, people that have been told that you're weak. People that have been told by people that have, should be placed in your life to nurture and protect you, instead exploited you and told you just how weak you were. Instead of being built up, you were pushed down. Here's what I want to say to you. We do live in a state of weakness, but God has, is, and will rewrite your story of not being good enough to being a story of becoming a son or daughter of the Most High King. That is what he has done, that is what he is doing, and that is what he will do. And so if that is you, know that God will do that for you. Second person, people that have been shown they're weak. Some of you have had your physical weakness taken advantage of and exploited. 
And I want you to know any kind of abuse that you've experienced is not your fault. It is not your fault, and I am so sorry. God did not design physical weakness to be exploited by someone else. I want to talk specifically to women, which I'm not saying anything about physical strength. What I am saying is women, your weakness was not designed to be exploited, but to be protected. And so if it has been exploited, I am sorry. And we are here for you. And we want to walk with you. And know, I want you to hear this, that God has, is, and will continue to rewrite your story of being exploited, being hurt, to be a story of power and purity. That is what God is doing. God will dress you in white and present you as a pure bride to himself. That is what God does. And that is what he can do in you. And so we cry alongside of you, Lord Jesus, transform us from a state of weakness. Last one, we have a natural body. We have a natural body. We all have a spirit that is built to rebel, disagree, push buttons, and create destruction. We desire to create our own rules, designate our own boundaries, follow our own authority instead of the authority that God has for us in our life. This is what we call this, sin. We are all people marked by sin, and we experience sin in two different ways. First off, I'm going to call it self-righteous sin, where we actually think we can follow all the rules. We think we are good enough for God, and we look down on others and say, you aren't good enough, but I am. That's sin. That's following your authority instead of God's authority. It's looking at yourself higher than you're looking at God. Or there's the other type of sin where you decide, man, there's no way I can measure up to all the things God has for me, so I'm going to intentionally rebel and break all the rules he's designed for my flourishing. Instead of seeing the, the things he's placed in my life as things that I should walk in for my flourishing, I run from them because I could never meet his standard. Man, maybe some of you aren't actually the one that has been exploited, but you're the one that's done the exploiting. Here's what I want to say to you. This is not to excuse your behavior, but to say that that too is painful, that too we want to walk with, and that too is not outside the saving work of God's grace. Everyone in this room is within the, the bounds of the saving work of God's grace. We're all sinners that need a Savior, and so we all sing together, Lord Jesus, we need the transformation of our natural bodies. We need the transformation of our natural bodies. We all experience pain. Pain is everywhere in this room, and we need a solution that is not found in this life. Because this life is too painful. We need the promise of a life to come. We need the promise of a better life. Here's the promise of 1 Corinthians 15, that we will experience the transformation of our entire body, life, and soul, not when you work harder, not not when you do more, but when you bury your life as a seed for God to transform into beauty. This is what verse 42 says again. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Skipping to verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Here's what we see in this text and in our pain. What we see in this text and what we see in our pain is that we have to die. Now, there is purpose for your life. Come back next week. We're going we're to talk about that. But to fully see the beauty of all God has for us. For, to fully see all God wants our lives to be. We need to bury our life. We need to sow it as a seed in order to see it. Christian, this is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, in all his splendor, saw your pain, looked down on this room and saw the pain of this room. He saw the brokenness. He saw the darkness, the brokenness that you've inflicted on yourself, the brokenness that you've inflicted on others. And he came to rescue you from that. And to rescue you, the one that was full of honor took off glory to put on dishonor. The one who was powerful took off power to put on weakness. The one who was spiritual and eternal put on human flesh. The one who was perishable put on, or one who was imperishable put on the perishable. The one who was strong, untouchable, immortal took a criminal's cross for you and for your pain. Which means that there is nothing outside the reach of God's sacrifice on your behalf. There's no sin, there's no pain, there's no brokenness that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. And in his resurrection, he purchased for you a resurrection of your own. The best life you could imagine is not comparable to the life that you will be given on the other side of death when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. This is the promise. This is the promise of those that sow their lives into the soil of God's grace. Where there was imperishability, there's now, or where there was perishability, there's now imperishability. Where there was dishonor, there will be glory. Where there was weakness, there will be power. Where you were a natural body, you will inherit a spiritual body. So for those of you that have put your faith in Jesus, this is your guaranteed inheritance. I hope you're catching on to what this means. Like I, I hope you see that you actually become God-like. Jesus didn't just die to, to save you from your pain, but went as far to one day transform you to be like him. That's what Jesus came to do, not just to save you from your pain, but to make you like him, to make you someone who could dwell with him. Which means that the body, mind, and life you long for is yours in the future when you put your faith in Jesus. That's yours in the future. So maybe some of you are struggling with body image. Like women, culture puts unrealistic expectations on you to, to be something beautiful, but here's what I want to say to you is when you put your faith in Jesus, if you could see yourself on the other side of eternity, you would be tempted to bow down and worship the person that was in front of you. That's yours in Christ. 
if you're struggling with sin now, on the other side of eternity, you will have a perfect mind. That's what's awaiting for you. On the other side of death, a a mind that only longs for the things of God. Not the things of the world. That's yours in Christ. Not someone else's. It's yours. And those that feel like you still have open wounds from hurts in your life, here's what God does. He turns your wounds into scars that testify to the transforming and redemptive work of Jesus. One of my favorite things in the Gospels is when Jesus walks out of the tomb, he has scars on his hands and a scar on his side. Why? I love the resurrection of Jesus because his scars, we think that wounds are a sign of weakness, but his scars are a sign of power and strength and glory. And so your pain, your open wounds, the things that you are bringing into this place on the other side of eternity, those wounds will be transformed into scars that are also scars of power and glory that testify to the redemptive and saving work of Jesus Christ. This is what God does. He uses our pain to remind us that something better is ahead. He uses our pain for us to long for a greater reality, for us to long for life after death, for us to long for our bodies right now to be sown into the soil of his grace and raised to something greater. And so here's how I want to end. I want to end with God's promises, not mine. God's promises, not mine. This is Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. This is earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, but as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart of man imagined what God has in store for those who love him. For those who are in Christ, this is your certain hope. This is your guaranteed inheritance that on the other side of death is unimaginable life. Man, don't don't you want to tell someone about that? Don't you want to share that with someone? So, guys, if that's you, like, if you're that person that knows you have a guaranteed inheritance or maybe you don't know for certain, but you think you do, you've put your faith in Jesus, would you go up those stairs? And would you just hear us out about leadership? Would you do that? Second type of person, for the unbeliever. For the unbeliever in the room, would you say yes? You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to have your life figured out. You don't need to present yourself as perfect and pure. You just need to have faith and look to heaven and say, I have pain, I have weakness. I can't present myself as beautiful. So Jesus, take my life and bury it. Take my life and bury it because I am failing and I can't do anything about it. But I trust, I'm going to turn my eyes to heaven and I trust that you're going to take my buried body and raise me to a new life, a life that is unimaginable to me right now. That's the hope of the Christian. Let's pray. God, that's me. God, I'm in pain. God, I hurt. I hurt with the insecurity I feel. I hurt with the misplaced expectations that I have for myself and for others. God, I hurt alongside those who have pain. I hurt alongside those who have been told that they're not good enough. 
I heard alongside those who have been shown that they're weak in a way that should have been, they should have been protected. God, see our pain. God, hear our cry. Would you sow our life? God, after death, would you give us a new life? Give us a greater reality. Give us a hope beyond this world. God, would we know glory because we've seen it in your son, Jesus, that you won't just settle to save us, but to make us like him, God. Would that be a hope that compels us to live differently as we leave this place? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.